0: Hello and welcome to the Waitrose and Partners Weekend Debate. I'm Mark Pugach and we're debating today the mantra that you increasingly hear these days. Eat less meat, but better quality meat and help save the planet. And so wrapped up in all this, of course, are issues of emissions and the environmental impact of farming, of ethics and animal welfare and, of course, of health. We're in the Royal Oak Pub in the village of Bishopson, just outside Swindon. And I'm going to ask the panel to introduce themselves, starting with the lady whose pub we're in, the chief executive of the Soil Association, Helen Browning. Helen, thank you for having us.
1: It's lovely to have you all here. Uh, yes, I'm Helen. I farm here um, around 1,500 acres around the pub in the village of Bishopston, And as you said, I'm chief executive of the Soil Association.
0: And next to Helen, please introduce yourself. I'm Jim Duffercy,
1: uh,
2: farming 2,500 acres on Salisbury Plain, where we run sheep and uh, beef cattle, 200 cows, 500 sheep. And we also grow uh, oats and um, rye, uh, all, all organically. Uh, the oats are made into porridge um, and all the lamb and the beef go to waitress. So we have
0: got Helen and Jim to my right and to my left we have...
3: Hi, I'm Mira Soda. I'm a food writer and a cookbook author. I have a column in The Guardian called The New Vegan, and I've just written a new cookbook called East, um, which is 120 recipes of vegetarian and vegan inspired from Bombay and beyond.
4: And I'm John Mitchinson. I'm a writer and publisher. I I set up a a crowdfunding site for books called Unbound. Um, Before that, I was one of the people who started the TV show QI. I also do a books podcast called Backlisted, but mostly when I'm not doing that, I'm keeping pigs, sheep, um, chickens and bees at my very small, small holding in Oxfordshire.
0: Thank you all for coming. Helen, thank you very much for hosting us. So, eat less meat, eat better quality meat, help save the planet. That's a sort of summation out of an intergovernmental panel on climate change report, which says that half of all emissions of methane, one of the most potent greenhouse gases, come from cattle and rice fields. And another stat, livestock responsible for 18% of greenhouse gases, more than the global transportation system. Do you think, Eleanor, here we go again, the farmers were being bashed on the head? Or have we reached the stage, actually, we, the farming community, we, society, we all have to take this
1: very seriously now and change our habits? Well, I think globally there's no doubt we can't increase meat consumption because uh, there are huge impacts that animals, particularly if they're grain-fed uh, or kept in uh, conditions unlike the ones we have in the UK, it can be hugely problematic. Uh, there are some places in the world where people need to eat a bit more meat. They're eating very little meat and it's been very nutritious. But in the West, we probably do need to curb our consumption. But it's a much more complex argument than that, as we'll probably unpack. So what do you think when you hear that, Jim? We need to eat less beef and lamb,
0: probably. That's your livelihood we're talking it is about.
2: my livelihood, and it does feel a little bit like farmer bashing. I think things have to change. Um, everybody knows that. But we have to be careful that we don't just uh, pick on the, 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 the meat that's being produced properly and that that's what people stop eating and, and ignore the meat that Helen said is being pushed too hard not done in a, in a natural way especially organic but most of the beef in this country we would hope would be being produced in a, in a proper, proper manner, the animal welfare would always be good and so um, I think we just have to be careful of how we react to these statements, they just make headlines and you have to be careful. Everybody doesn't run off in the wrong direction.
0: Okay, we'll, we'll get into that into more depth. John, um, you you keep pigs, you keep sheep, you are you are a meat eater. How much meat would you eat on a on a weekly basis? Um, I probably don't
4: have it by the kilo mark, but <laughs> I, I would eat. I would say on a seven day basis, I would eat meat probably three or four days out of those seven days. Um, I'm trying to have two meat-free days a week, just because I'm. To be honest, I'm more interested in doing that less to save the planet, probably than uh, just practicing different and interesting ways of cooking veg and tasting different flavors but yeah i mean meat is 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 an essential i think for a lot of people there is a general sort of feeling now that we should be eating less better meat and i certainly you know one of the ways i do that is by most of the the meat that i would buy now i very very rarely have beef um and if i do i probably swap it for some lamb or some
0: why would you rarely have beef is that just it's just it's just because it's
4: quite expensive and <laughs> it's nice, but um, but you know I'm pretty much self-sufficient in pork, bacon, and, and, and lamb, and uh, chicken is the other thing that I would. But then I w- if I'm going to do that, I would I would make sure I get a good, ideally if we can locally produced, organic free-range chicken because I like the flavour.
0: Now, Mira, you're, you're a vegan writer and a vegetarian writer, but that's not to say you don't eat meat because you do occasionally, don't you? How, how does your week look?
3: So. Well, 90% of what I eat comes from plants, um, and I eat, you know, some eggs, some meat, um, and that is just the way that I like to eat and how I've always eaten. I think there is some room in my diet for some responsibly sourced meat. I think it's, it's hard because I've obviously been writing this um, new vegan column for about two and a half years now, um, and the more that I learn about the impact of meat on the environment, that's something that I wrestle with a lot more. But um, food is also a source of joy and pleasure Mm. and memories, and it's the way that I've grown up eating, so that is how I eat.
0: So Waitrose have commissioned this YouGov poll, some very interesting statistics in it. 13% of people in this poll describe themselves as flexitarian. Could I describe you as a flexitarian?
3: Um, well we were debating what the meaning of flexitarianism yeah, well, is but what I think it says it is, tin, doesn't it? it doesn't yeah, I think well I think that's 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 where a lot of people are and I'd say, you know, it's probably the same as saying that hundreds of thousands of people in this country are just looking for ways to eat less meat and more vegetables and that means that they're just a bit more open-minded and and curious about what that looks like a bit like John
0: well the the stats certainly show that a third of people from this survey are eating less meat than they were two years ago and nearly a third are planning on eating less in the next two years now those are for reasons of animal welfare healthier diet and the environmental impact and actually only 10% said they were planning to give up for one day 26% for two days or 25% for three days so I think my question is okay a lot of people want to eat less meat But maybe they're like me. I mean, if I don't eat meat, I might go make pasta or risotto or whatever. But beyond that, I don't really know what I'm doing. You've got a book to tell me what I'm doing now. (laughs) We we need to be educated, don't we? That There are things out there which are delicious and which may be very healthy for us and Mm -hmm. taste just as good. And we don't always have to go to the meat chiller.
3: Yeah, I think I feel very lucky in the way that I grew up eating Gujarati food in Lincolnshire. Um, and you know I had a potato farm um, factory just just behind my house, so we were eating a lot of vegetables And gujarati 's uh, gujarati 's a state on the west coast of India. The majority of the sixty million people who live there are vegetarian. Um, and so the cuisine is this centuries-old vegetarian cuisine. And so when it came to sort of eating home-cooked meals, we didn't have to think very hard about how to put vegetables in the centre of the table. It was done with creativity and ease. We'd have a delicious um, mustard seed and cumin spice potato submerged in a gorgeous garlicky tomato sauce or parathas or um, aubergine curries, spinach curries, things like that. And so I I realised, I mean, it's sort of innate to our family's way of eating um, that we put sort of vegetables in the centre of the table. And so I realised that, and then obviously when I started writing this column and I was looking for more inspiration, I suspected that if I looked beyond India east towards countries like thailand and vietnam malaysia burma that i'd find more inspiration for the home cook and happily i wasn't wrong because for for reasons of religion um or economics um those countries don't necessarily eat as much meat as we do over here and so um there are lots of food cultures there that put vegetables in the center of their table as well I don't know where to begin to tell you about all the gorgeous dishes that you can find, but let's start with Korea and their love of kimchi and cabbage. They eat extraordinary amounts of cabbage, and they've extracted a huge amount of personality out of this vegetable. <laughs>
0: Cabbage's got you personality. Yeah.
3: You wouldn't have thought yeah. so. Or you can have gorgeous dumplings, um, you know, made with tofu or mushrooms or carrots from China. You know, the pot sticker dumplings, bouncy, gorgeous, chewy udon noodles um, that come from. Japan all of these things are available to us here um, and, and so, yeah.
0: It's, we need a bit of encouragement, don't they? We need to be led by the hand a little bit to say these things are great.
3: Well, I think it's nice to introduce people to new flavours. Um, it's, it's very easy for us to look east and to find those flavours. And I think it's very easy to tempt uh, someone who's, very, who's a sceptic when you have something very delicious because the choice doesn't become as binary as do I eat a vegan meal or a non-vegan meal? It's, well, that sounds delicious. Do I want to eat that? that's the real joy i think um it's a lot of it's vegetable based i mean that's how i like to eat there are very many forms of veganism and vegan food um but you know i love cooking with seasonal british vegetables and that is a real joy and a real pleasure um but because for so long these vegetables have been relegated to the side of the plate people don't really know how to move them to the center that's personally what i take a lot of pleasure in is showing people how they can um feed a family of four with a butternut squash
0: You've, you've tried this, haven't you? I mean, you know, you, you, you've got a great flocks at home in Oxfordshire, but you have tried a few of these recipes. No,
4: I was saying to Mira earlier that what I love is the flavour, is, is, you know, cooking with vegetables is no different in the end to cooking with anything. It, it's, it's how you start building up the flavours using garlic, using ginger, using chilli, using things that you can, and then combining them. I mean, I guess there's part of me that worries a little bit that we enthusiastically, as I'm sort of plunging myself into it, that you can now get pomegranate molasses in in, 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 in your supermarket. You can now get coconut milk pretty much in, in your corner shop. I think this, these are good things. I guess there are issues about, you know, air miles, where is it coming from, how is it being produced in its nation... Whereas... In my heart, my ideal is always to try, and keep it, to, to try and eat as locally as I can and to eat stuff, as I always say to people, the meat that I produce and give to people, I've sort of known those animals literally in some cases since the moment they were born and to, to, the, to the day that they died. Now, that doesn't make me a, a better person, but it just means I know. I know what they have fed. I know what these animals... I know why, you know, that pig was always... That was the small one and now it's, you know, we've kept it a bit longer to grow. It. I think that kind of connection with food... And it is still incredibly difficult to get people to... I've got friends who do not understand how I can keep animals and kill them. They just can't understand that. And I said, well, you know, bottom line is, if I don't do that, somebody else is doing it for you. If you eat meat and you can't take the life of an animal, then there is a a certain hypocrisy in there. Just picking pink stuff off the shelf Mm -hmm. in a supermarket.
0: Helen, when you hear the way that Mira speaks, and John as well, and you look again at the IPCC report I've outlined here, meat consumption will have to be cut to reduce methane production. And then the next sentence says, the consumption of healthy and sustainable diets, such as those based on coarse grains, pulses and vegetables, and nuts and seeds, what Mira's just been talking about, presents major opportunities for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. As a farmer, do you think, yes, I hear all this, I
1: mustn't be frightened by it, we can actually work together with it? yes definitely I mean I think there's a quite a big transition that we're all going to have to, to make as farmers and uh, and we need uh, some breathing space to do that so one of the things we've been doing on the farm here is planting loads of trees nuts and fruits um, and berries but they will take quite a long time to produce they're going to be it's going to be 10 years before I'm producing walnuts or I've planted almonds as well um, and lots and lots of fruit trees um, and so you've got to think about how are we going to take farming from where it is today to where it needs to be tomorrow. I do think there is a role for grazing livestock within that future because a lot of the time when we're building fertility, if we don't want to use synthetic nitrogen, which is very energy expensive, then you're using your leguminous plants to build fertility and it makes sense to use animals to eat those plants. Um, And that's where, if you bring biodiversity wildlife into the picture as well as climate change, then you do need those biodiverse grasslands to sustain sustain those insect populations that we know are falling so we need to look at these things in the round not just kind of say it's all about climate change and therefore this is the uh the, this looks like the best analysis we need to look at what our countryside here in the uk is best suited for and to try and make sure that we're looking at the wildlife and the health aspects as well as the climate but change what are we
0: going to do about cows because you you know you're you, you've got cows jim you've got cows as well they are Cows and methane. Most of it comes out the front end. This is, you know, whenever people see these headlines, that's immediately what they leap upon, don't they? Because they're going, "Oh, I drive along the countryside. I see loads of lovely cows. I didn't realise they're, you know, they're burping us towards the end of time."
1: Yeah. So <laughs> I think one area where the Soil Association would be at slight odds with the Climate Change Committee is the way they view methane. Uh, the latest science shows that methane is a short-lived gas, and therefore, if you have a stable population of ruminant livestock, those that burp methane, um, then you don't add to the cumulative total of greenhouse gases in the way that you do if you keep emitting CO two. CO two is around for ages, methane's only around for about twelve years. So as long as we don't increase the numbers of sheep and beef cattle, then we won't increase the amount of methane uh, in in the environment. So I think that's going to be an important adjustment to make. And if you have just a gently reducing number of ruminants, recycling the fertility and being farmed in the right kind of way, not using loads of grain, which is a real problem because we're importing a lot of grain that's driving deforestation um, then I think you can uh, have a balance in the countryside particularly in the UK in the west of England Ireland Wales where we actually have plenty of rainfall and uh, very suitable conditions for growing beef and lamb. Waitrose and Partners was named best retailer
0: by Compassion in World Farming this year for a record third time in a row. For its high standards on farm animal welfare. The judges praise the supermarket for continually striving to do what is right, both for the animals and their customers, making them true leaders in Europe. To find out more about animal welfare standards at Waitrose and Partners, go to waitrose.com forward slash welfare. Oh, we got a, oh, we got a little taster as well. Yeah. What we're we talking about, we're talking about food. It's pointless, I always think, to talk about food and never actually to taste it. Oh, look at this! So tell, tell us, tell us what we got here, Helen. So we've we got we've
1: got a uh, little bit of fillet steak. And this is from, actually, from a, an older dairy cow. I shouldn't tell you that before you uh, <laughs> eat it. Uh, rather than from a, from a... Which is always a really underrated uh, source of meat. It's often, a lot of the, the, the dairy cow is, is effectively wasted or downgraded. But the uh, prime cuts out of that will be, I hope, great. And this is some pork. A pork chop from our saddleback pigs, which we rear on the farm here. Um, and then we've got some uh, charcuterie, some copper and some salami that's made with uh, the meats we produce on the farm here too. So a little bit of something to, to nibble at while we, uh, while well, we continue very, the conversation. I've got saddlebacks as well. <laughs> just yeah, slow, saddlebacks yeah. are fabulous, aren't <laughs> they? Because, <laughs> Jim, you farm on Salisbury Plain, so you're, yeah.
0: you would, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but Salisbury Plain is a vast plain, and, and you can't necessarily grow wheat on it. Some of it, so you've got to graze something on it. Well, yeah,
2: you have. To, yeah, there, there, there are large areas that can't be played, and it's not just be plain as as, and as Helen suggested. You know, there are vast areas of the whole of this country and of the world that can only be grazed. Um, and my concern always is, we produce meat. Um, you were asking earlier how many days for me red meat would probably be six days a week, um, but we have to also be careful whilst we're trying to change the direction that we all go is to can we produce all this other food? Are we going to be pushing other parts of the world into trying to produce food to come over here that's going to use air miles, which they're going to start using chemicals to produce larger numbers because that's what's happened. That's what happens in agriculture. When the demand gets high, you you have to increase production, and that's what happened, we discussed earlier, after the war here, produce more meat to feed the population. And we've gone on from probably 40, 50 years ago where... One joint of meat probably fed people for three, four days with one way or another. And now we have one. We've changed, haven't we? And in the last 20 years, people have been eating one, throwing half away and having another one tomorrow. Mm. That's got to change as well. I think that we we must be careful that the statements aren't just thrown out there and everyone jumps from one side of the road to the
0: other. No one's saying don't eat beef. What they're saying, or meat, they're saying eat less of it, but high quality. You have the best... You know the animal welfare standards in this country are are the best in europe aren 't yes. they and that 's yes. what and you have to you have to we, stick we have to, to those
2: and and, um, and actually, I think for ninety nine percent of farmers anyway, you get the best return of your occupation by looking after your animals there 's no benefit to not looking after them, and they will look after you better if you look after them and we do enjoy their company and as it was said earlier about killing an animal that you rear that's never our best day of of the week when we load animals into a lorry because that's where they're going but we give them a good time while they're with us and
0: we enjoy their company and try to look after them Jim, do you accept the science, though? Um, John sent me this the other day, uh, Matthew Sribnum, and his his website's called No Beef, I think, or O Beef, isn't it? He said his grandparents had a beef and dairy farm, but he's a scientist. He says the simple fact is the beef industry is damaging for the planet, and there's the responsibility with the government to subsidise farmers to transition to other food production.
2: I question it. I'm not a scientist. I'm I'm not a scientist, and so how do I argue with that my my feeling always is is with a lot of science i'm I'm afraid and this might be the wrong thing to say is that it's usually a lot of big statements are made when people's funding is running out and they need new funding for another three years of research i'm sorry but that's how i see it um and and sometimes this does come out as as far more bashing I, i i don't see how that's going to work but
1: I think one of the what things I'm slightly worried about is that the emphasis is all on beef and lamb and not on pork and poultry and most of our pork and poultry is reared using a lot of grain that most of which is imported we're not monitoring our CO2 emissions on the basis of consumption, we're monitoring them on the basis of production and that's exactly the wrong way around. So the grain and soya and things that we're importing from areas where it's driving deforestation is not counted into our invoice on climate change in the uk i would suggest that actually it would make a lot more sense to stop feeding grain to livestock whether that's beef cattle or pigs and chickens um, and be feeding that people more directly with that grain mm. and to be making sure that our pigs and chickens are fed on waste streams and beef and dairy is fed on pasture which is what it's supposed to be fed on you get better health outcomes you get higher levels of conjugated linoleic acids more omega-3s and the meat, if you're pasture-fed, and you're not driving all that deforestation through the use of, uh, of, of a lot of soyers and protein crops. So I think it's wrong to start to tell people to eat pork and chicken rather than beef and lamb.
0: So that Lord Deben report, the old John Gummer, everybody knows, yeah. remembers him, his daughter eating a hamburger at the height of the crisis. That that report, which talks about the UK being carbon neutral by 2050, that report talks about a 20% decrease in beef lamb and dairy are you saying that they're not taking into account enough of what comes into the country?
1: Yes, so I think that uh, I think there's no doubt we need to, to moderate our meat consumption overall um, but I think the emphasis on red meat rather than white meat is misguided. I would say it's grain fed meats and industrially produced meats we should be eating less of and we should still be prepared to eat modest amounts of the beef and lamb and dairy that is being pasture fed and is suitable for production in this country and is Useful for maintaining soils and biodiversity,
0: but would that have an impact on you two as beef farmers? Would that have an impact on your bottom line? Is it an inevitable impact on your bottom line and on the bottom line of the supermarkets as well? If we, as consumers, stop eating as much red meat,
1: well, people will start to eat something else. And I think it's the, the difficulty for farmers is if they're locked into beef production at the moment, or. Poultry production or whatever it is, they've got to make that transition into producing the food that we do want in the future. So I talked about the how long it takes to grow the trees that will be growing a lot of the the healthy things that we need to be eating in the future. What we can't, what farmers can't cope with, is suddenly going of, over a cliff edge. And at the moment, beef prices are on the floor. For instance, a lot of farmers are really suffering from that. And you need to think about how do we actually enable farmers to move from where they are today to where we want them to be tomorrow. To think about which environment should be for beef and dairy and which should be for pigs and poultry on waste streams. Um, you know, how do we actually evolve the right systems going forward without leaving farmers in the lurch? I'm a bit worried that farmers are going to have some really big shocks, Brexit coming up, markets changing very rapidly and we need, uh, we need a transition plan over the next 10 years to get to where we need to go and support for that.
0: John, you know that you, because you breed them, that the high animal welfare and the way you've looked after your animals means that the, the taste is absolutely as you'd want it to be.
4: Yeah, and I think there's a certain amount of skill and experience in finishing a pig so that you get, you know, the right quantity of... I mean, one of the things that always drives me mad is the, the campaign against fat, which has been driven in schools for, for... You know, my even my boys grew up with this sort of... It was like you're trying to feed them some sort of terrible poison. And obviously, you know, anybody knows anything about food is the fatty bits of the meat are the most flavoursome um that pork chop is amazing but that beef is off the scale i have to say that is incredible the flavour um no i i'm i think there is there is a problem with education that people aren't really they, they don't know what they're looking for and if they see some picture of a you know thatched cottage and a farm and a sort of and it's not real, but I th- I'm sure it seems to me surely you could be doing more of, of supporting local. You know, that if, I think people would buy locally if they felt that they, in a supermarket, if they felt that it re- it was really local and that the produce was significantly better, which I'm in most cases I think it would be.
3: But do you think that I think most consumers, I can t- if you think about how consumers and what drives their decision making when it comes to shopping. Um, I don't think it's necessarily realistic to buy locally. I live in Walthamstow yeah. in East London. <laughs> yeah, sure. There are no farms around me. I think most consumers buy according to the location of a supermarket and their perceived value of something. And in an ideal world, I would love to buy you know, local meat, uh, local produce, etc. Um, but I think, you know, and supermarkets do have such an enormous power in this country, and I think that's where I'm really I'm curious to sort of...
2: There's also the issue of locally is of the abattoirs of have gone out of production. Yeah. It's very difficult to, to have something slaughtered under the right conditions locally yeah. to go into an area. And as you say, where there's a massive population belt, you're never going to have enough locally produced food to feed those mm-hmm. people all in one place. There has to be some movement of, of animals. It'll all be driven by people selling food, and they'll sell food, whether they sell meat or they sell something. It will always be driven in that way. And for me, this discussion can be quite depressing. Yeah. Mm. My livelihood is out of producing red meat. I can't change that. That's the land I've got. That's the profession I've got.
0: And if we that's do buy m- we less red go. meat, as we're being encouraged to, that has a direct impact on your to. bottom line. It has
2: to. And it has to, to, to decide, as we were saying earlier, how many people do actually make a living if you take the, the, the support that's there from Europe and let's not forget that more than 50% of the farmers wanted us to leave as well. But if you take that away, and, and suddenly all this stops, you'll see you'll see a lot of farms go out of out of business, never mind out of production. And so they won't even be there to plant the trees or to to do anything. It, it has to be ever so carefully <coughs> done. This it, it's all right, yet yeah, managed. Sorry, yeah. is the right word, is because it, you're just going to pull the rug away. There'll be a big void for a while, and. and when we first went organic 20 years ago, the first thing I, I said was what I really needed was my grandfather, or probably my great-grandfather, because yes. he had farmed without chemicals Absolutely. and made a su- success of it. So therefore,
0: I needed his expertise. But, but Jim, if we become more discerning as a population, and we want the highest uh, welfare standards which we have in this country, and we want to eat a little bit less beef and lamb because we know it's good for the environment, but we're prepared to pay a little bit more because it's, because it's organic, would you be okay still, or are you saying? Well, one would hope so. Yeah, yeah. We, but you don't. You're saying it's still. It could still be a knife knife it, edge and, situation. But it's,
2: yes, and it's not just about one person, is it? It's mm. about the the industry. And if the industry was to collapse, it would have a an effect yeah. on us as well, because there would be hauliers that would go out of business. Yeah. So, so it's a knock they, on effect. They, they? Yeah, yeah
1: but I mean to be honest most beef and lamb producers are a knife edge anyway it's not no. as if anybody's making any money out of uh, producing red meat if I'm perfectly honest it's a it's a it's a mugs game um but you're right a lot of your land up on Salisbury Plain that is the right thing to be doing with it grazing it you might want some more trees there if the, if the army would let you have some so I think you can bring a lot more trees back into that farmed landscape where you've got animals um and I think when you've got rotational farming systems where you're building fertility and using yeah. that you know those are really sensible uses. It doesn't mean we always have to eat it all here, though. I think there will be, if only Brexit wasn't in the way. I think there are opportunities for us to supply parts of the world where they don't have such good grass-growing conditions. You know, I think we don't have to think that we have to eat it all here, even if it's the right thing to be producing it here, because there's loads of parts of Europe where they probably shouldn't be having any livestock at all. You know, the, there's not the rainfall to sustain the grassland. They're more, much more grain-based. So so uh, where you've got good good grass, we probably should be using it. But planting some trees too.
0: Just just on on the trees. Interesting. This came out this week from the Irish, of course, which you know we're all in the same part of the world. The Irish have proposed eight thousand hectares of new forestry every year. And the CLA here in this country, um, a report from the Committee on Climate Change report um, says it calls for a forestation rate of around thirty thousand hectares per year. And it points out existing afforestation targets of twenty thousand are not being delivered Um, but you were saying before we, we started it's not just a question of you know put cattle in that corner and trees in the other we actually need to have a bit more joined up thinking.
1: Yeah, I, yes I do and I think there will be some places where you want to reforest forest properly um, but a lot of the time I think our new trees will, could come into our farmed landscape so silver pastoral systems where you combine pasture and trees are one of the fastest ways to draw down carbon there is, that's been well shown so it's a really big part of the picture and those trees can be productive trees that are feeding us too with all these foods we should be eating more of so there's some real win-wins in this actually we don't have to think it's all binary either or there's a way of doing both and in many situations. Isn't the
4: problem that we've got a gen? I mean, now for the last couple of generations, people have just got used to incredibly cheap meat. Yes. yes. So it, meat has almost become a convenience food, commoditized protein. Pr- protein, and yeah. it, it rather than a treat. Yeah, rather than yeah. a treat. Yeah. I mean, uh, Jim was saying earlier. You know, we'd have a chicken when I was growing up. It was a it was a real treat, and you 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 know, my mother would make soup out of the bones, and you'd, you'd feed that. There was always a thing: how many meals have ever made from this one one bird and I think that has changed people don't cook is the other problem as well people, a lot of people have, have got into the habit of just doing buying ready meals so I mean I don't know how in legislative terms because it seems to me that you, if you're going to change that you, if you have a, a global market for food it's very very difficult to to be the one who starts putting up the barriers isn't it? I, I don't know what you do to, to make it better, what we can do to change things in, in the short term because I think people want to change I think a lot of people really want to change they want to eat more responsibly and they would be i think be prepared to pay a little more to do that well, i
3: think that's what the YouGov poll shows as well doesn't yeah. it that yeah. people want to eat less meat and it sounds like they want to eat better quality meat they because do, they yes. want to yes. they want that meat to have less of an impact on um, the, the environment the so, problem
2: is is that is as you started that statement you said people want to eat less meat and and this is where all the headlines are isn't it? it's about stop eating meat stop eating red but meat better, uh,
3: more better quality meat yes meats. but
2: that the first statement is always mm. stop or less
3: mm.
2: instead of we should be eating better quality yeah but better quality we meat. can reduce the amount but it yeah. needs to be better quality but the the headline with everything newspapers
0: no but the headline is, is it always is eat less than can a can
2: a destroy the destroy well, the can ask
4: an, an ignorant question why can't we have a subsidy system it seems to me that privileges farmers like helen and jim who are doing you know, can't there be some sort of point system where, if you're actually making quality meat, that you, you that you're helped so that your price you can you can price competitively rather than because my worry is if, if the prices for for meat go up, people will stop eating it. They will. Yes, that I mean, I've got, real I've real got, real I've real got real. my son's a student at university. His, his girlfriend is a vegan, and they eat more or less vegan food now. And it's not that he doesn't like meat, but it's just he's on a...
0: with the the way that student financing works now. It's a lot cheaper to, to not eat meat. Well, well, Helen, they're changing, aren't they? The debate. I mean, it's interesting what John says. About about privileging you for your, you know, the high quality meat. They're changing the basic payment scheme, well they're phasing it out, aren't they? And there's this talk about public funds for public good coming in. But that's more about planting trees and hedges, isn't it, rather than rewarding you for for high animal welfare and, and, and the, the quality of your
1: beef? It's still a little bit unclear what it's going to look like in the future, <laughs> to be honest. But I mean, I think one of the things, uh, if, you know, as farmers in the future, we'll be farming carbon as much as we're farming anything else. And once you start to get a sensible carbon price in play, where farmers are rewarded for soaking up the carbon dioxide into our soils, into making organic matter, planting trees because they're sequestering carbon, and getting some payments for the biodiversity, the wildlife you're supporting that kind of thing, then we'll be in a completely different ball game. And we know that actually if we get that stuff right, if we get our soils and our trees right, we will stop a lot of the flood risk, we'll have cleaner water supplies, we'll stop some of the bills in other places. So there's some really sensible things that we could be doing there. And
0: might that take the pressure off the beef farmers, yeah, actually, because a lot of the CO2 is being captured? At the
1: moment, as farmers, we are almost entirely dependent, apart from the, the support payments that come in from Brussels at the moment, we're entirely dependent on the market for our beef or our lamb to make a living. If we actually were being paid for the carbon we were soaking up into our farmland then it would change the way we farm and it would give us those other opportunities to be doing things differently and I think that needs to happen at the consumer end too. I'd love to see individual carbon Quotas or budgets for people, so that you actually had your own uh, carbon budget. You could decide whether I want to eat red meat or white meat, or fly, or 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 or, or, or buy fuel, or how hot I'm going to keep my house. Uh, you know those kind of choices, particularly the big ticket ones. We need to be helped to think about how do we do this fairly for everybody, so that everybody can start to see, uh, you know, what the choices I've got to make or can make, um, and I can decide how I want to live my life, but within the constraints that the the planet can stand
0: that makes a lot of sense. I'm not quite sure how you'd actually administer
1: it, but it would... Well, we can do everything else. We can do smart cards for supermarkets. Yeah. So we can do smart cards for carbon. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I think it would be a great way of almost redistributing income because you say everybody gets the same. Mm. You can decide whether you use it or you sell it. Um, and so I think it's got a lot of social benefits. And it would, even if you, you can't do everything now, you can't put a price, a carbon tag on absolutely everything. But the big ticket items you could do very quickly and very easily. Every Every time you go fill your car up with fuel, you swipe your card, you know how much carbon you need to use. Every time you buy a rail ticket, you swipe your card, you know how much. Uh, it's, it's surely doable. I'm sure Waitrose could make it happen.
0: <laughs> Let's try one of your... So this, this comes from your... Is uh, this come from East, from your new cookbook? Yes, exactly. Yes. And what exactly.
3: have we got here? Um, so these are vegan brownies, um, and they are salted miso brownies and um, salted miso brownies brownies. and you know what vegan baking is I mean it seemed like the impossible dream (laughs) Um, because what on earth happens if you take butter and eggs out of cakes and baked goods so I'll I'll tell you a little bit about how you you can bake Um, and that is that you can use apple puree or flax seeds or chia seeds milled chia seeds um, as a binding agent and um, it works phenomenally well Um, it's sort of bigger that all of these things become quite gluey and glue everything together and that's part of you know an egg provides so much in baking and so that's that's how how that works and a miso is this incredible ingredient so, it's, so
0: most people know miso soup wouldn't they
3: miso soup yeah. well, you know a lot of people now know um miso aubergines you find them on um mm. pub menus up and down the country
0: what is
4: miso
3: um fermented soybeans it
4: is a fermented soybean. Yeah.
3: so you you can um use fermented rice as well and there's different types of miso you can get red miso brown miso white miso white miso is the miso that i've used um in these brownies it's quite subtle. I mean, it's quite punchy, but it's more subtle um, than a red or a brown miso. And what it does when you use it with dark chocolate is provides this incredible, like umami flavor. In the same way that we've all become addicted to salted caramel, um, it's sort of an instant way of providing the same sort of yeah. deliciousness. Um, I mean, it's I'm yummy. Oh, okay, yummy! They're great. <laughs> well, that's
0: delicious. If you hadn't you, wouldn't, told know, you me, wouldn't know. I would have yeah. just thought that was a brownie. If you hadn't told me, well, I would. Extremely I would delicious hmm? Yeah, extremely <laughs> yeah. delicious brownie. I would have had no idea at all. Tofu an interesting one, isn't it? Because everyone goes, oh, elastic bands.
3: Oh, do they? Yeah.
0: In our house, they <laughs> I do.
3: Think, I, I have to say, I probably was quite sceptical about how delicious tofu could be until I had some chili tofu in Leicester um, with my father. And so normally we have chili paneer, which is an Indo-Chinese dish, and that's when I discovered that you can get that sort of lovely golden crust. Um, on there, if you you just have to squeeze out the water using your hands as like pizza paddles on either side. There's lots of
0: different types of tofu, isn't there? There are
3: lots of different yeah. types of tofu. So you can have um, my preferred type is the extra firm, and it does have quite a long shelf life on it. So you can just sort of keep it in the fridge, and it's something um, that's quite sort of quick to cook. And you can do all sorts with it. I mean, I wouldn't say. I mean, I I cook scrambled tofu. Um, there's a recipe called a curry in my book, which is a Indian scrambled tofu recipe. But um, it's not. I would say it's not a substitute for scrambled eggs. It is, you know, as good as or just a different... Different, you know, yeah. Yeah, really different. The texture's delicious. Um, it absorbs flavour very well. It's a blank canvas, so you kind of need to throw lots of flavour at it. But once you do that, um, you're good to go.
0: I want to talk about a pig and a lamb, and then, um, and then we'll finish off. My wife, Victoria, is a producer, and I were very moved... I mean, we know you, we know you anyway... ...by your Instagram to Buster... And you, this will chime with, with, with Helen and Jim very much.
4: Yeah, well, Buster was my bore and he was, um, he was you know, we put a lot of piglets off him and he was a proper character. He was getting on for, would have been not far off 400 kilos by the time. And we had the, the, you know, he stopped being productive. He stopped being able to have piglets and we were having to move and we just didn't have enough space for him and it's it a really, really difficult moral dilemma he was a, you know, the boar you know, you tend to sort of you tend to form a relationship with a boar because, you know, I'd, I'd w- watched him grow and, and he, as I say, he produced many, many piglets year in, year out and um, and it's that, it's, it, that was a real moral problem because he was a character as well and he liked, you know, he, he never complained he was he, I mean, he could have easily escaped if he'd wanted to. He just one flick of his neck. And they're incredibly strong. He could have probably got the, got the fence down and be off. He did it once or twice, escape. But generally, he, was pretty, he had a pretty good life. He liked to, you know, he had a big wallow, covered himself in mud, grunted, terrified children. Um, but he became, you know, became a village character. And then, you know, you do have the very difficult problem. What do you do with an old pig? And I thought about doing it myself. But, you know, it's a lot of meat. And I don't really have the facilities. So there is a wonderful woman called Jane Drew who collects elderly pigs and humanely uh, they end up going to Germany to become salami. So it was tricky. I still
0: miss him. And, I, I know he, 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 and that, that Instagram, Instagram post very went, moving. went viral. Is yeah. The way you said
1: you scratched him behind his ears for the last time. And, yeah. you know,
0: yeah. Off you go.
1: Yeah, Attachment yeah. is a dangerous thing. isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I followed a group of pigs um, for the book I wrote last year, and uh, and it was you know there are some that emerged as particular characters yeah. out of that that you get to know very well, and uh, yeah, it's tough, but it should be tough. Yeah, yeah. actually. I
4: mean, anyone who kills animals and doesn't feel something, yeah. it seems to me to be a very very odd kind of human being. You know, you 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 and. For me, it's, in a way, the way you honour that animal is to make the most delicious food out of as much of the animal as you can, and if you if you can do that.
0: Let's finish then, Jim. Do you have a great attachment to your, your cattle and your lambs? We do, and
2: um, very similar... We would have over 200 cows, seven bulls. All the bulls have got names and everybody would know their names from one that was, his pedigree name is AJ President and he's known as Donald for obvious
0: reasons. <laughs> <laughs> um, and What's he like? Yeah, A,
2: a pain in the neck. Yeah. There <laughs> Can be aggressive, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> And the bull can be as well. Yes, yeah. Yeah. uh, (laughs) But That's what happens, is that you do, you know, this turn to case, you rarely get attached specifically to one, but the bulls have characters because you give them names and and at times they're just in a field, the six or seven of them. Everybody knows, my my son can sit on the back of one of them and and he'll just happily just stay there. That's what happens, and the same happens with the odd orphan lamb you get a bit attached to, but...
0: Helen, let, let, let's finish with you, and thank you very much for hosting us. The conversation started. The conversation is out there. There are some difficult conversations to have. You're, you're in the business. Jim's going, please don't buy le- less beef because this is, this is my livelihood. But we know what the impact is on the environment. As a society, we've taken the first step, haven't we, which is often the hardest to admit that something has to happen?
1: Yeah, I I guess we have. And I think we've got onto slightly the wrong foot in terms of the conversation, as we've discussed this evening. I think the conversation needs to get back onto the right foot. What sort of meat do we need to reduce? Um, And uh, making sure that we're not... Uh, making big mistakes uh, in that, but I think that whole sense of putting—I love that—you know—that whole thing about putting vegetables in the centre stage on the plate, and actually making sure that plants are our primary food, and meat is honoured, is a treat, is eaten, but is eaten in moderation, and uh, that we get rid, in my view, of industrial farming uh, systems which are bad for us bad for the environment bad for the animals and bad for things like an overuse of antibiotics you know so i think that it's about getting the meat farmed in the right way and eating it with real enjoyment but not too often
0: thank you very much helen thank you for having us thank you to helen uh, to jim to mira and to john this debate is brought to you by waitrose and partners weekend find your free copy of the weekly newspaper in store for news views and features delicious recipes and food trends plus the latest from our fabulous columnists including claire balding fee glover and mark kermode all the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual presenters and guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of waitrose and partners engineering's by charlie jones producer victoria pugat and this is a saddleback media production for waitrose and partners